Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Father God, we just are gathered here this morning because we want to worship you. Lord, we do that through our singing. Uh, We do that through our prayers. Lord, we do that through the study of your word. So Lord, now as we open up our Bibles, I pray that you would that you would uh, guide us through, Lord. Give us ears to hear in this moment, Lord, as we read through your word that you've preserved for us, uh, that we might read it, that we might believe it, that we might follow it so that it might be well with us, Lord. Lord, just use me now in this time and this morning as your instrument. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray, amen. All right, um, so last week in chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, we looked at some of the uh, curses that came, or, or, or as we looked at them as warning signs or consequences. Warning signs because God was telling them ahead of time, this is what will happen if you go this way. Um, consequences in the sense that when they did those things, these were the things that would happen, and they weren't good things. Um, that accompanied disobedience, so that if you were disobedient to what God was calling them to do, there were consequences that attached, and they are negative consequences. They weren't good things. Are there positive consequences, or is consequences just negative? I think it's just negative. Anyway, those, were, those are some of the things we looked at in chapter 27 and 28 last week. We also, though, looked at, because God is a compassionate, loving God, the blessings that came with obedience. So that it was like saying, if you are disobedient and if you do these things that I'm telling you not to do, there are these negative consequences that are going to come along. But if you are obedient and do the things in which I'm telling you that you should do, then there are blessings that come along. And the really th- the amazing thing that struck me is it wasn't just that he was saying, look, I'm going to bless you for being obedient. The things that he was telling them to do were blessings in and among themselves, right? And so it's like, if you're obedient, it's a blessing, and then you're blessed on top of that. So it's like a double blessing, double blessing. Who doesn't want a double blessing? Right? Hey. Would you like one scoop or two? Three. Two, that's right. When it comes to blessing, the more the better, I think. We left off last week at chapter 28, verse 15, or what I called the 54 verses of curses. Uh, and that's exactly what it is. It's 54 verses that God goes through and pronounces. These are the curses that will happen. Um, because in the, in the blessings, when he went through it, he was like, here's all these amazing things. And in the second half of chapter 28, the verses of curses, um, he basically just turns them all around. And he says, if you're not obedient, then you're not going to be blessed in these ways. You'll actually be cursed in these ways. Now, if you also remember last week, I kind of alluded to the fact that I wasn't looking so much forward to going through 54 verses of curses, especially on this day, Jan. It's your last Sunday with us, and I don't want to spend the Sunday going through curses. I had a sense last week that God was kind of working on something. Um, so uh, it, it all came together. So this week, we're not actually going to go through the 54 verses of curses. We're going to do something else. Um, I'm sure you're disappointed. I know, I know. You're dis- I'm sure you're disappointed that we're not going to be in Deuteronomy again today in chapter 28, the second half. However, 
We will come back to that. Instead, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. So go ahead and turn. That's all the way on the other side, Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is a, a record written by Luke of, of the, basically it's called the Acts. In some Bibles it might say the Acts of the Apostles, but it might accurately be said the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it is, we see in chapter 2, what we'll look at today, the, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit on the disciples of Christ. And that from that point on, amazing and miraculous things happening in the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel. But in Acts chapter 2 specifically is talking about the day of Pentecost. And so maybe you're asking yourself um, why we're going to talk about Pentecost today. And maybe you're thinking it's just because I'm a big fat chicken and I don't want to talk about curses. That's not true at all. Bring on the curses. I'll talk about them. I mean, I don't want them. Don't bring them on. Like God, I didn't mean that. No, bring on the talking about the curses is what I mean. That's... Let's, let's just get that right. Um, thankfully, God knows my heart. It doesn't listen always to my words. <clears throat> no, we're talking about Pentecost because last week, maybe you heard me also uh, mention the fact that last Thursday was Ascension, right? 40 days after Christ rose from the dead and spent time as the resurrected Jesus with his disciples. And it says, remember, he you know, saw them on the seashore and he sat with them and he talked to them and he ate with them. And he said, has appeared to 500 or more people. There were a lot of witnesses to his resurrection. And for 40 days, he was with them. And then on that 40th day, the day of ascension, he was with them. Uh, he brought them outside the city and he was giving them some last minute instructions. And he was like, look, I want you to wait because the Holy Spirit is going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to come and he's going to do amazing things through you. He's going to endue you with power that will allow you to do even greater things than I'm able to do. And not that Jesus meant you're going you're gonna to do something greater than raise someone from the dead, but Jesus had a, a limited geography and a limited amount of time. And when he said that, he was like, you're going to do greater things, which means you're going to take what I did and you're going to take it out to the world. The world. We're actually benefits of that, aren't we? Beneficiaries of that message. But then on that day, he rose up right before their eyes. He was taken up in the heaven. He ascended. That's why they call it that. Well, it was 10 days later that, he act, that the Holy Spirit actually came. And that's what we're going we're gonna to look at that today. We're going to look at that thing that happened. So last Thursday was the ascension. 10 days later would have made it, oh, today. Today is 10 days after the ascension, which means today, 2,000 years ago, is the day that the Holy Spirit came down and, and manifests himself in the way that we're going to see in Exodus. Isn't that cool? That's cool. Come on. All right. <clears throat> I can see this. Because <laughs> I will take all six of you right out of here. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Let me just check my notes here. Okay, so verse one of chapter two, it starts off like this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, look, I'm going to talk a lot about the first couple of verses because there's so much in here that I want you to think about. Because how many of you have read Acts chapter two before? right? Many, if not everybody. And how many of you have not, if you've not read it, you've heard the story before. There's some stuff in here that when I read, I was like, or I listened to and I prepared, I was like, huh, I never really thought about that before. I just kind of took some stuff for granted. So this says, 
when Pent the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, maybe you're thinking that Luke writes it in this way because he's writing this looking back on what happened, and he's talking about Pentecost, and he says, oh, that's what it was called when the Holy Spirit came. But maybe you'd be surprised to know that Pentecost was a feast celebration that they had been celebrating for thousands of years. See, here's the thing. Pentecost is just a Greek word that means 50 days, right? So the Jews have been celebrating Pentecost for years and years and years and years. In fact, it was called Weeks, the Feast of Weeks. It was one of the mandated feasts that they had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate, but they loved it because it was a celebration. It was 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after the Passover feast, which they were also required to come through, which was a little bit more somber, they would come from all around into Jerusalem to celebrate the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks, meaning seven weeks or seven sevens, which is 49 And then the next day, 50, is the day of Pentecost. Or it has a Jewish name that I can't pronounce, but it it was just that same thing. Now, it was called also the Feast of First Fruits. Feast of First Fruits. All right. The Feast of First Fruits, in which they would bring an offering of first fruit, and they would offer it up at the temple. And it was attended by everybody. Like Literally, they were coming from all over the world at that time to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. Now, here's the really cool part. Maybe you did know this, maybe you didn't. It also happens to be the feast or the day that they believe that God gave Moses the law who brought it down from the Mount of Sinai and gave it to the people. So at that time, and we looked at this when we went through Exodus. Exodus? Yes. When we went through Exodus... (laughs) Uh, we saw that, that God gave Moses the, the law and he brought it down and he gave it to the people and they believed that it was on this same day, 50 days after Passover, that God gave his law to Moses to bring down. And so they also celebrated the giving of the law of God to the people on this same day. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, what we're gonna see as we go through this is that Then God gave them their law written on stone tablets that Moses brought down. Here today, what we're going to see, you know, uh, how many years later? Two, three thousand years later, God gives them the Holy Spirit, a new covenant, it's going to say, not written on stone, but written on, as Jeremiah will prophesy, on their hearts, a new covenant, their law, the law written on their hearts. And so there are so many really cool things that we're going to see like wind and fire and wind and fire and the law given and the spirit given and God speaking to them and them having something to say and God speaking to them and them being compelled to say something. There's so many cool things that we're going to actually get to see today as we go through this. So when Pentecost had fully come, Pentecost wasn't a new thing. It wasn't a New Testament thing. I mean, it is in the sense of what happens here today, but the feast or the gathering together for the celebration of Pentecost wasn't new. This was something, that's why there are so many people here. That's why they're gathered here, right here. Now, when I read this, I also kind of sense a anticipation um, in Luke's writing when it had finally come Like they have some anticipation of something, almost as if they're waiting for something to happen, which of course we know they are. Because at the end of Luke, when Jesus ascended, he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait 
for the Holy Spirit to come. And so now they're anticipating the Holy Spirit coming. And they've been waiting since that day because he didn't say it's going to be six days or seven days or 10 days or whatever. He just said, go back and wait. And so they have this anticipating hope or hopeful anticipation. That's the one I was looking for. They have this hopeful anticipation of something amazing to happen. And, um, and I love that. Have you ever had hopeful anticipation of anything, something that you knew was going to come? You weren't exactly sure when it was going to happen, but you knew at some point it was going to happen, and you just were like, maybe today. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's today. And you're on the edge of your seat, and you're waiting. And and anyone ever experienced that before? Anything like that? Any of you ever had a baby? (laughs) Any of you ever been waiting for someone to have a baby? Maybe it's a a spouse or a grandchild, and you're just like, what day is it going to be? And you have this hopeful anticipation, like maybe it's going to be today. You don't know what day it's going to be. Who knows what day it's going to be? Only God does. And so they have this hopeful anticipation. Imagine you're, you're one of his disciples and, and you're there and you're gathered with him. He's like, now go back to Jerusalem and, and wait. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then he just goes whoosh, up, right? And you're like, but when? And so then it goes, and it says, if you read at the end of Luke, it says that they were gathered together daily in the temple praying and, and they were joyful and they were just, they had this hopeful anticipation of when the Holy Spirit went. Because you understand, they've already had some experience with the Holy Spirit. Like they're not like, what's this Holy Spirit you speak of? No, remember he had already in certain times given them the power of the Holy Spirit and then sent them out. And it says that 70 of went out two by two and they did amazing things. They cast out demons and they healed people and they came back with like, It was so amazing, Jesus, it was amazing. And he was like, oh, just wait. And so they're like, oh, man. So imagine you're, you're one, of the, one of his disciples and you've experienced the Holy Spirit and you know he said that he's, he's going to send it after he's gone, but you don't know the exact day. And you're like, oh, man. Oh, that was good. Uh. <laughs> and you're like, first day, you're like, it's going to be, I mean, I mean, it's so like Jesus do it first day. And you're like, first day. And you're like, oh, day's not over yet. He's not over yet. What's it going to look like? Is he going to knock on the door? Is he going to show up? I mean, am I going to read him? And then he doesn't come. First day, nothing. Like, okay. Second day, nothing. You're like, I know. It's going to be the third day. Third day, obviously. I mean, I'm not a numbers guy, but, you know, maybe you're thinking third day that would be just like Jesus. You know, he rose from the grave on the third day, and then, and then he went in. It's going to be the third day. I know it. It's going to be the third day. Here it comes. It's going to be the third day. And the third day comes, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and nothing and you're like, huh, not the third day. I know, seventh day. It's going to be the seventh day. You know, it's seventh day. Day is number of perfection. That's God's perfection. He's going to send his perfect spirit. It's going to be the seventh day. And so then you're waiting a couple days with the anticipation that the Holy Spirit is going to arrive on the seventh day. Oh, man, that's going to be so exciting. And then Nothing. <laughs> And it's so like God to be like, you think you have me figured out? You know what? Tenth day. Because <laughs> you're like, tenth day, tenth day. And so maybe, I mean, maybe they're sitting there going, Pentecost? Maybe it's going to be Pentecost? I don't know. It's the tenth day. And, and maybe the, the anticipation wears a little bit. I don't know. Maybe. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, with you been waiting for a grandchild, do you ever just get like, this baby's never coming. Forget it. <laughs> Whatever. Have a baby. Don't have a baby. I don't care. I'm going fishing. <laughs> That's what Peter would do. <laughs> and see, the thing is, like, when I read this and I was kind of thinking about that, I said, we can't figure out 
this, so I guess we'll just wait in hopeful anticipation, right? That's what they had to do. They didn't have a choice. They just had to wait for it to happen. He said it would. He didn't say when, but he said it would, and so they just had to wait in hopeful anticipation. I mean, listen, I love prophecy. I do. I love prophecy as much as the next person. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, I, you know, actually, you know what? I have been guilty about this a little bit. Like, oh, it's a red moon, <laughs> you know, or, or, oh my goodness, no, it's the year of Jubilee. It's going to be this day. And I, you know, rather than just to live in that everyday hopeful anticipation of like, it could be today. It could be today. And if it's not today, maybe it's tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, maybe it's the next day or the next day. But why don't we want to live in that place of hopeful expectation on the edge of our seat saying Jesus could come back at any time how exciting, how exciting. And I'm not going to spend my time, I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure it out. Rather, I'm just going to wait and say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. So when the day of Pentecost had come and they were with one accord in one place. Do you know what we're talking about here? We're not talking about 11 apostles and Mary. We're not talking about 11 apostles and Mary. And you might think that if you've ever studied classical art, you see pictures uh, or paintings of the day of Pentecost and it's like Mary in the middle with the like, flame and all the apostles around her like this, like little candles. They're all like little holy candles all sitting there and they're all gathered like in this tight little room. But see, well, that's not it. See, back in, in first chapter, it says there were what? 120 gathered together, 120 of them together. And so if you go online or if you go to Israel and they want to take you to the place and they want to show you the upper room, this is the upper room. There's not specifically evidence that says that it was the same upper room that they always used. In fact, this would have to be a room, I guess, that would be big enough to hold 120 people. How many homes in Jerusalem at this time had halls big enough that would hold 120 people all at the same time. Now, it does talk about them being in a house, but maybe it was they were in this room and that room and gathered together in this and in the kitchen and in this room or whatever. I'm just trying to help you to see a little bit outside of the classical paintings that you might have been influenced by over the years of your life. There's 11 of them gathered together in one little room with little candles over their heads. It's probably not that. There's 120 of them gathered together in one place. Now it does say again, in a house. This later on when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they start like speaking in other languages, it says that there are people who start to hear them. And we know that it's thousands of people. How do I know it's thousands of people? Because 3,000 of them hear the message and get saved. So I'm assuming that there was more than 3,000 because there were some mockers as well. So now this is a room that would have somehow had to fit over 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people or else there was somebody just 3,000 people happened to be walking by and looked up in the window to hear what was going on. And how, and how does that even happen? Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm a little excited. <clears throat> so they were all together. They were in one place. They were in some place in Jerusalem, in somebody's house of some kind. Um, and all of a sudden, it says in verse 2, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing wind, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, 
I want you to realize something. Like how many of you have pictured this in your mind and you just like, they're there and like wind is blowing all around and it's like, a, like, a, like someone turned on a huge fan and it's blowing the papers and dust and curtains are going everywhere. This says it was a sound from heaven, like a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't say that it got windy. It says it was the sound. In fact, in, in the Hebrew, it says a, a blare, like a trumpet sound. In fact, I read one commentator who said it wasn't like the swirling wind sound that you might imagine, but more like the blowing of a trumpet. And how many times do we hear God being announced from heaven by the sound of the trumpets? And again, we're talking about a, a ram's horn, you know, not like a, not like a brass trump, not like, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, you know, announcing God up there. You know, we're talking about the, just the like sound that they are um, completely surrounded by this sound of a mighty rushing wind or the sound of, of like holy trumpets. And imagine, now, you know, Luke wasn't there, by the way. You understand that this is like eyewitnesses. He's going and talking to people who were there and then he's writing it down. And so like, I don't know, it was like a, uh, like, a, like a, the sound of the wind or a trumpet. And he's like scribbling it down. This sounded like a mighty, it even says in Hebrew, like a violent wind. Like the sound that filled the room, although it wasn't like their hair was blown around and all of that. They're completely surrounded by this sound that filled the house where they were sitting and there, then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire and one sat upon each of them. All right. Again, if you look at, at, at the paintings, um, the scene in the paintings are, they're all sitting there very like, I, literally, I looked at them, they're just like, like this, and they've got like a little yellow flame like on their head. Um, and that's the depiction that we've seen for years and years. But when you think about it, this just says, again, just like it said, it was like the sound of the wind. This says it was something that appeared divided tongues as of fire. That phrase means like fire. It was something appeared over their head like fire. It was some kind of light that was appearing over their head that they had no other way to describe it but saying it was like fire. Could have been, for all we know, an incandescent light bulb. How would they describe an incandescent light bulb? I got an idea. It probably wasn't, but that's the thing is like they were just trying to describe it as best they could with the mental tools that they had in place. Think about it. If, if I came to you when you were like 10, you and you and you and you, not the 10-year-olds, um, and I handed you an iPhone, how would you describe it? Well, it's like a calculator. You know, it's kind of like a TV, only it fits in your hand. Now imagine you have no idea what that is, and you're like, a TV that fits in your hand? You know, that has a calculator on it, and you can make phone calls, and imagine what you would draw or describe, right? And so they're saying it was like fire. Now, this is something that we see. Um, it's not a consuming fire, right? Nobody's sitting there going, ah! Like, my, like their heads aren't on fire, they're not being blown around and their heads are not on fire. It's a fire that is not consuming, like burning them. Have we seen that before? Ha ha ha, Jan, you can't go. Who's going to answer all my questions? If you recall, Moses, 
as a, a shepherd after he left Egypt was up in the mountains and he was tending his goats and there, there appeared to him a burning bush. But it says in that passage that the fire did not consume the bush. And this is the fire that I believe we're talking about. It was the, the holy presence of God in the form of a flame that was on a bush that was speaking to him to Moses, and now once again, we see God's presence in this room in the form of a fire that doesn't burn anything, but it's there. Was it even yellow? I don't know. Was the burning bush a yellow-orange flame? I don't know. Maybe it was blue. Maybe it was green. Maybe it was some other color, but the best way to describe it was like it was like a bush that was on fire. It was like a fire over top of their heads. So again, I'm kind of stripping away maybe some of the things that you that you imagined were, uh, it wasn't the 11. It maybe wasn't a little tiny room. It wasn't windy, but it was the sound of the wind. And it was that they looked out across the room and everyone had these like shining, glowing, whatever, tongues of something over their head representing the presence of God. And again, and, and all of that's going on, the wind, the flames, the, the noise, no wind, but the noise. And they're all like this, Probably not. Is that what your reaction would be like? Oh, man, this is really amazing. I will stand very still so that someone can capture this in ink and paint. I know they're probably just like, oh, 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 you got, you got, you got. And they're like, no, you too. And you're like, where? And it probably was just an amazing experience. In fact, I believe it was such an amazing experience that what did they do? I think they all ran out into the street. They all, wherever house they were in, they were just like, we got to, we got to, we got to, let's go, let's go outside. And they all went up because now all of a sudden it's going to say, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they couldn't contain themselves. And they all ran out into the street. And all of a sudden they were 120 witnesses for Christ to a multitude of people because the Holy Spirit had come and filled them and they couldn't contain it. Whoa. You know what's really cool about this? There was a, I'm just going to call it a flame of fire because I don't know how to explain it. There was a light above each one of each and every one of them. You see, when, when God appeared on the top of Mount Sinai, as he was about to give them the law, remember the, they were supposed to come and it was all like the sound was so much, they nearly had heart attack and there was fire and he basically gave them the covenant law that they all entered into kind of as a whole people. Now, all of a sudden with this new covenant, it's very individual, isn't it? There is a flame. It's not like one flame covering the whole place, but is individual on each and every single person there who was there in one accord, in prayer, in fasting, looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ because he had said, go and wait and I'm going to send him to you. I love that. I love that concept that God is personal and that not just can I know him individually, not that I can know him, but that he knows me. He doesn't just know you as, oh, you go to church, or oh, you're a Christian, or oh, you go to Calvary Chapel. He knows Jan, Denise, Kevin, Jeff, Marin. He knows your names. I actually, literally, I think I could go through the entire room. <laughs> he knows your name. He knows when you were born. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. 
He knows how many hairs you have on your head, the Bible says. He knows you individually. And he says, I want to have a relationship with you. And he demonstrates it here by saying, I'm not just going to pour out my spirit on the whole room. I'm going to pour it out onto each person individually. And I'm going to fill them with it. Look at where it says right here. And they were filled, all filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He filled them, by the way. Do you see that's emphatic? It says that it happened to them. In this case, they weren't calling down the Holy Spirit as if they had some authority to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to do this right now. Rather, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened to them. And as a result, it says something miraculous happened. They began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. In Hebrew, that actually means different languages. Now, I do believe that the Bible speaks of a heavenly language that God gives some in order for them to pray to him directly in a language that he's created. I don't believe that's this. This says other languages. And the other, the other reason I believe, not just because it says it in Hebrew, but later on, these guys say, aren't these guys Galileans? How are we hearing them speak in our own languages? Our own, by the way, dialects, he says. Now, see, there is a language that God will pour out to say, you know what? There are times when I want you to pray to me in this language that I've created that you don't even understand. In 1 Corinthians, it says that tongues is a language that we pray to God, not to each other. By the way, God doesn't talk to us in heavenly tongues, does he? I don't know of any example of God speaking to man. It's always man praying to God. God says, I want you to pray to me in a language that is mine, that I've created. So you pray to me in tongues. And if I want other men and women to know what it is I'm saying, I will give an interpretation. I don't see an interpretation here. What I see is these guys saying, I'm hearing them in my own language. I think that's what we see here. So God says, you know what? Language barrier of getting the gospel, that's no barrier to me. I'll just use you and you and you and you and you could speak Egyptian and Syrian and Mesopotamian and Portuguese and Spanish and Haitian and whatever it is that I need these people to hear. Now, I bet these guys that were speaking, and I wonder, were they thinking that they were speaking in whatever their native tongue was and everyone was just hearing it in their own language? Or were they speaking another language and saying, I don't even know what I'm talking, but out comes Egyptian. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> that would be pretty cool if you could just all of a sudden start speaking Italian. Actually, I've heard that before. I've heard that people were like, I didn't know what I was saying. And someone was like, you were talking Italian. Italian. It's like how I like to say it. Speaking of uh, feast day. Wow, I'm on fire. All right. And so uh, it says there, um, and they were dwelling, uh, and there dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Because why? It's a feast day. It's a mandatory feast that they all have to go to. And they love this feast. Now, there's something really interesting. Now, in case you're missing Deuteronomy, because I know, I know, it's become like a a nice friend that we want to, we hug every Sunday. Hi, Deuteronomy. It's good to see you again. In case you're missing Deuteronomy, I want to remind you of something that happened in Deuteronomy chapter 26. So just a couple weeks ago, it talked about when you come into the land and you gather up your first fruits, you're going to bring the first fruits to me in a basket, lay it before the priest. He's going to take it and give it to the women's ministry. And then 
you're going to say this. Remember what it says? I'll give you a really quick synopsis that what they were compelled to say when they gave over this offering of first fruits was they were supposed to declare how mighty God was and how he had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt that they were under so that now they were free, that God was mighty Remember it says that he brought him out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, which we talked about meant power and sovereignty. That God brought them out with power and sovereignty. That he brought them out, freed them from the bondage, and now they were free and they were going to be blessed in this new land. That was the thing that they were compelled to say when they brought this offering of first fruits. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the feast of first fruits they will be filled with the Holy Spirit and it will compel them to go out and give a message. They start talking. And what's the message? It's going to say down here in verse, uh, I don't know, somewhere 11, that it says they began speaking the wonderful works of God in Hebrew that says the greatness of God. And if you read through, and maybe we will today, the, the message that Peter actually stands up and gives, the message is the same message that they were compelled to speak when they brought the first fruits. How great God is that he sent Jesus, his son, to liberate you from bondage and so to set you free. It's the same message. So they were compelled then to bring forth their first fruit offering and, and say and declare how great God was and how he had delivered them. Here in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes now on the day of first fruits, the day that they would bring this. And they are compelled now by the Holy Spirit to go out into the street and declare the same message. Only now it's talking about Jesus Christ, who is the deliverer, not the law. Amen. Same message. Because God is the same God. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from slavery to sin. <clears throat> and when, it was this, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because they heard them speak in their own language, in their own dialect. So they're hearing these guys, all these people come out of this house. So they've all just been filled. And I don't know if they still have the flame thing over their head or if that was just like a moment. By the way, that never happens again in the New Testament, does it? It never happens again. That is not a prescription of how the Holy Spirit has to work. That was how he came in that moment. But throughout the entire remaining New Testament, we see the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit for this, filled with the Holy Spirit for that, in order for them to be able to do certain things. Now, we know that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it says that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it says in 2 Corinthians that we are the, the living temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But we see in the New Testament, and I believe it still happens, that God pours out his Holy Spirit on people to do certain things that he has called them to do. You look and you'll say, like Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, went and talked to this person. Paul then was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he went and he accomplished this particular task that maybe he wouldn't have been able to do on his own. And I could tell you what, every single Sunday, every single Sunday, I sit in my office and I pray, Lord pour out your Holy Spirit upon me so that I can get up in front of all of these people and, and talk for 50 minutes or 60 or 70 minutes <laughs> without saying, um, a single time, by the way. Yeah, have you ever noticed that? Also, by the way, as you get older, maybe some of you know this, like I've had perfect vision my entire life, perfect vision. 
but now I'm 50-something years old, and I'm starting to notice that my eyesight is getting, like when I go to read, it's a little blurry. And so I've had to buy reading glasses or like cheaters, I guess, right? right? So I have, I have like a pair over here and I have a pair over there. So when I sit down to study, I got to put, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you are young and you're like, what? what? I mean, you can't, <clears throat> can I just tell you that even when I come in to study during the week, I have to wear those. But when I'm standing right here right now, I can see everything perfectly clear perfectly clear. How is that possible? Short of the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to use you right now. I can see everything right here perfectly clear. Because I pray and I say, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon me so that I can stand up here and I can do this thing that is otherwise hard to think about doing. And by the way, twice in the same morning. (laughs) And guess what he does? He pours out his spirit on me every single time I ask him every time. It's amazing. These guys have received the Holy Spirit. They can't be contained. They spill out into the streets. The only explanation I can think of is that they're out in the street. Now, the the place that they'll take you in Israel that they're like, here is the upper room. It's like a castle. If you've ever seen it, like whose house is that from this time in Jesus's time? Um, But even that house, it's like an alley that goes this way and an alley that goes that way. And if you're looking at saying, how could Thousands of people gathered up in that tiny little space. I just don't believe that that could be the place. I don't know where it is exactly, but maybe it was somewhere near the temple where all the people are coming together. Maybe it was in the temple court of the Gentiles where everybody could gather. It seems like that would be something that Jesus would do. Wherever it was, they go out, they spill out, they start talking a message that is talking about the greatness of God. And all of these people are hearing them and they're confounded. They're saying, we could hear them speak in our own language. Again, God says language barrier, not a barrier. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. There's, um, there's something going on here that all of a sudden they're realizing there is something up right now. Something is going on. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been someplace where you're like, I don't know what it is, but there's something going on here and it's not, it's good. It's good. They, they, they're going to list right now in the next few verses all of the different regions or places which will indicate all the different languages the, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages, the wonderful works of God. And again, if you look that up in Hebrew, it literally says the greatness of God. The wonderful works, the greatness of God, how great he is and what he has done. That's the message. And Peter's going to go on and elaborate it, the whole thing to them. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying, whatever could this mean? Now, verse 13, other mockers said, they're full of new wine. Basically, they're saying, they're drunk. They mock. They're called mockers. You know what? There are always going to be mockers when something comes up that they don't understand. That's a, a very first reaction to some people is, I don't understand it, so I'm just going to make fun of it. 
And that's what they do here. Oh, you know what? Rather than to try and hear, are they not hearing the same message that everybody else is hearing? Are they not hearing the message in their own language? But is there some kind of visceral reaction to what's being said that's pushing them back saying, you know what? They're drunk. This is silly. Have you ever heard a really smart drunk person? Nope, never. Don't know one. They think maybe they are really, really wise, but they really, really aren't. <clears throat> now, verse 14, Peter stands up with the 11 and he raises his voice as he said to the men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you to heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour, 9 a.m. And he's saying, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. I wonder, you know what, as I read that, I'm wondering if those people who are saying, ah, they're drunk are saying it, it's at nine o'clock, are saying it maybe because they've experienced being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. I don't know. Now, what Peter's going to do is he's going to walk through um, a prophecy of Joel. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to hit a couple of highlights. But he goes through and the, the prophecy of, of, that God has of sending the Messiah, his son. Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He basically is setting them up for the gospel message that says, this is Jesus. This is who God said he was going to send in order to deliver us from our sin. And whoever calls on the name will be saved. They're going to hear that. Hear that. Do you know how I know it? Because they're going to hear, say, they're going to listen to it and they're going to say, oh, what should we do? And Peter's going to say, repent, repent and be baptized. And then it's going to say that they heard this. And it says, he says in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. By the way, do you see that one little verse? There are a lot of people that like to say, well, Peter went out and he preached a message that was like a minute. Um, and they use that for a short message, you know, for short messages. But, but what does that say? With many other words, he testified. So don't, don't use this verse that, you know, this section and come to me and say, you know, your messages should be much shorter. I mean, it's really not necessary because I'll say, no, I get to use many other words as well, according to verse 40. So he said, be saved from this perverse generation. You know, that's the thing. And I love how he says it. He says, if you call on the Lord, you will be saved. He says, be saved from this perverse generation. It's a very powerful word. Be saved. He doesn't say, why don't you just come on along? Why don't you, you know, you'll be blessed. He says, be saved. Do you need to be saved from a good thing? Do you think the idea is so that people understand like, oh, no, no, I mean, I got a good thing going, but maybe I'll add Jesus together and then I've got even something better. No, Jesus would say, if I'm not there, if I'm not your savior, you're not saved. What are you not saved from? I'm sorry, I'm wrestling with this wire all of a sudden. There. Saved. Meaning if you don't have Jesus, you're not saved. You are not saved from what, gang? Hell. I'm sorry if that's a really heavy message, and I'm sorry if it's not really popular, and I'm sorry if it's not politically correct, but that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is one way, and it is Jesus Christ, one way. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how not bad things you do. 
It doesn't matter any of that if you don't follow Jesus. And listen, it's not like I get some kind of extra credit or like, I got another one, check, you know. It's not to my personal credit. It has nothing to do with me at all. In fact, we were at the beach a couple weeks ago and, and somebody wanted to get baptized and he says, do I need to make a donation to your church? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I said, we don't own baptism. It's not about you and me. It's about you and God. I'm happy to facilitate that. But you don't need to make a donation to me. It's not about this church. We don't own that. I don't own salvation. I don't get any kind of a prize because you've decided to follow Jesus. You get the prize because you've decided to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. It says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people heard this message so powerfully backed by the Holy Spirit because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and couldn't be contained that they went out, that they got saved and they got baptized. Now, that's not just for them, by the way. That's not just for them. The Bible says that if you uh, want the Holy Spirit um, to empower you in this way, you need simply to ask. It literally says, Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, then how much more would God, who's the perfect father, give to you the Holy Spirit who asks for it? Ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit and see what God wants to do. Now, these people were baptized. 3,000 people get baptized. How did that happen? Did you ever think about that? How did... 3,000 people right there in Jerusalem that day get baptized. How long did that take? How did that all happen? Well, I thought about it. I looked into it. I found some stuff. That's pretty neat, actually. You think they all just like went down to the Galilean Sea or went down to the Jordan River? I don't think so. See, they're all right there for the feast in the middle of Jerusalem. So what did they do? How did they facilitate baptism? And this is going to help you understand that it, think, the Bible just doesn't say things. These things happened. You see, they did a little bit of uh, excavating in the city of Jerusalem in the 70s and the 80s, and what they found were these things called mikvahs. A mikvah is a pool that's uh, made, it actually steps down into this pool that were filled with water, and they were throughout the whole city lining the streets of, uh, near the, the temple for ritual purification, which God had required of them if they had come into contact with something that would make them ceremoniously unclean. They had a mikvah that they could actually walk down in. And there's stairs, you know, it goes in and it would be filled with water and you could full body immerse yourself and come up and be ceremonially clean. And they found over 500 of these lining the streets around the temple. Hmm. I wonder where they got baptized on this day. There was already over 500 ceremonial cleansing pools all over the place. And Peter says, you know what? Let's get baptized. Where should we do it? There, 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 there. There's 500 of them. Everybody just go to one. And they were able to baptize everybody um, in these 500 or more pools. You know what's so cool about that? I mean, yes, it's cool that they were there. But you know what that says to me? God's a planner, isn't he? 
God is a planner because at some point God was like, you know what? I'm going to need to, I'm going to need a whole bunch of pools somewhere here to, to baptize 3,000 people all at once on Pentecost. So this is what I'll do. And I'm going to go way back here and I'm going to tell them that they need to create these pools so that they can be ceremoniously cleaned if they come in contact with something that makes them, you know, unclean so that when it comes time for Pentecost, they're already there. But God is a planner for sure. And you know what? All of his plans come to pass. All of his commands are yes and amen. Amen. Boy, that's the God who's asked you to put your faith in him. That's the God who says, you could trust me. I love you. I love you so much that I have planned everything out. I know your name. I know every step that you've taken, every step that you will take. And I know that you've done some stuff that you're not proud of, but guess what? I've made a way for you to be reconciled to me through my son, Jesus, who I sent on you for your behalf. Now, wasn't that better than the 54 verses of Christmas? It says, and the last verse we're going to cover today, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so this is like a sign of this true conversion is that they couldn't get enough of one another now. They were together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were there. They were continuing in the doctrine of the apostles, which is the gospel that we have in front of us. They were fellowshipping and they were breaking red, which, by the way, we will be doing today after the 11 o'clock service. So if you're interested, come back after. And in prayers. Today also actually happens to be Communion Sunday for us, where we will break bread together in the, in the sense that God, uh, Jesus brought them all together in order to break bread that last time, what's called the Last Supper. So let's pray, um, and then we're going to take communion. Father, we just thank you so much for your word today, Lord, and uh, not just how you speak to us, but Lord, how you remind us of how mighty and awesome you are. Lord, how the things that you do, you do so that we can be in fellowship with you forever. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for taking on the cross for my sake, Lord. For taking on the cross of my loved ones, Lord, and for those who I have not met yet. Lord, I pray that you would use me as you use these disciples in the, in the, the day of Pentecost. Lord, use me in a mighty way. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that there would be those who are sitting here today saying, I want to, that filling of the Holy Spirit too. Lord, please fill me. Lord, let me look up today and see flames of fire lit above each one of our heads in this room, Lord, that we might not be able to contain the power of the Holy Spirit and need to rush out of here, announcing it to all of those, regardless of any obstacles that might be perceived. Lord, you are the God who overcomes every obstacle. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.